Okay, sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. So I'm gonna leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need him. <laughs> Have you been there when it comes to temptation? Right? Who can you relate to in those kids? I think at different seasons of my life, I've been every one of them, depending on the situation. Uh, but the temptation is real, and we face it whether we're children teens, adults, whoever it may be, we face temptation. And uh, just so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, glad that you're joining us online. And uh, I want to pause before we jump into the message of how awesome was that with the 10 baptisms, these 10 life change, 10 people going public and saying, hey, I'm following Jesus. And so let's give them a round of applause again. Praise God for that too. It was indeed an amazing uh, Saturday and then Sunday after service uh, last week, too. It was just a beautiful time and uh, it brings a great smile uh, to my face and I know uh, the Lord's as well. So today we are going to explore temptation. And temptation is something, like I said already, that we all face. Uh, every single one of us will be tempted, have been tempted. And the reality is, is that you should not be surprised nor discouraged when you're tempted. Right? I think sometimes we are surprised when temptation comes our way. We're like, oh, I didn't see this coming. I didn't know. Or we're discouraged of like, oh, not again. This temptation is here in my life. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should not be surprised when we're tempted, and we should not be discouraged when we're tempted either. Because every temptation gives great opportunity for us to strengthen our walk with the Lord. And so hopefully you see that here today as we look at the original temptation and the original sin, and then also Jesus's temptation and how he overcame sin. He, he didn't go down that same path that Adam and Eve did. I want to suggest to you that the goal of temptation, the reason there is temptation is to distract us. We're easily distracted in a lot of different ways. And as followers of Christ, we have a calling, we have a direction, we have a purpose and when temptation comes into our life, we may be going this way, but then it takes us off course. 
even the slightest bit and starts sending us a different direction. It distracts us from the purpose, the calling. It also distracts us from experiencing the fullness of God in our life, the fullness of God's spirit flowing through us. So I invite you to turn to Genesis 3. And then also, if you want to mark Luke 4, we're going to be in these two different passages of the fall, the original fall, original sin, and then also Jesus's temptation. And so I invite you to, to join me first in Genesis 3. Before we read, it's important to note that it's perfection at this point in the garden. It's sin-free. It is perfect relationship between God and humans. There's no evil, disorder, no chaos, no confusion, no conflict, no pain, no disease, no discord, no disagreement, no decline, no death. I mean, it's heavenly, right? It's perfection in this reality. Then Genesis 3 occurs. So let's read this passage together. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing evil, good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So in Genesis 3 here, this, this passage of what's known as the fall, we can point to every human dilemma being rooted here. Every physical problem, every spiritual problem, every moral, social, economic, political, everything is rooted here in Genesis 3. And there's someone there that causes this disruption. And we see right off the bat, it's the serpent. It's the tempter. It's the devil. It's Satan. And this is what Genesis says about the tempter. It's crafty. Paul said that the devil masquerades as an angel of light. Jesus said that there's no truth in him, that he's the father of all lies. This is the one who comes in and disrupts, who interferes, who changes the course of human history. See, it'd be really nice if there was some sort of like flashing lights and warning sounds every time we encounter temptation. And I'm sure Adam and Eve would have loved that too, of like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. Warning. This is temptation. It's going to lead to sin. going to change the whole course of human history. But there's not. There's someone who masquerades as an angel of light, looking good, appearing good. And I want to suggest today that all temptation, including this original temptation and the temptation of Jesus, starts with doubt. That all temptation starts with doubt. Because if you notice in this passage, there is a line that the tempter said, the serpent said, the serpent said this, did God 
really say? Hmm. This is where temptation starts. Did God really say that this is what you're supposed to do or not supposed to do? Or did God really say that this was best for you? Did God really say this is what you're supposed to follow? Did God really say that there's this doubt that starts to swirl within us? And we have this fear and this nagging question of like, hmm, maybe God's holding out on us. Maybe there's more for us to know. And so I just, I want to experience this part of life. So I'm going to give in to this temptation. I mean, many times we're like children where you tell your child no, or maybe your parent has told you no at some point, just for one thing, this one thing. And you're like, you always say no, right? Anyone ever been there? You never let me do anything, right? I've been there. I've done that. I've experienced it with my kids too. This is, this is what it's like with Adam and Eve is like, God, you never let me eat from these, all these trees. When God's like, no, 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 there's one thing. There's only one thing. I'm not holding out. There's just one thing. See, first this doubt comes and then there's temptation. Chapter, or verse six of chapter three. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. So here's the temptation, right? It's right in front of her. It's the marshmallow. And I want to tell you that that temptation right in that moment where she was at and temptation of the marshmallow, temptation of anything we face, temptation is not sin. When you're tempted, that is not sin. See, we can simply point to Jesus as we're going to see in a moment that Jesus was tempted, but yet he was sin-free. That's what comes after that temptation. So the doubt comes, the temptation comes, and then what comes next? We see that in the rest of verse 6. She took some and she ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Doubt birthed temptation, temptation birthed sin. And there they were in Genesis and sin. Scripture tells us that, that sin is lawlessness. Where does the law come from? It's the word of God. It's the, the directives of God. And so sin is when law is broken. The scripture also tells us that everything that does not come from faith is sin. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. We're going to see this with Jesus in just a moment where he could have acted out of selfish drive, selfish ambition, but it was not an act of faith. And this was the same thing with Adam and Eve of thinking God is holding out on them. Not operating out of faith. So we have doubt and we have temptation and we have sin and then what comes next is shame and blame. See how shame and blame come out in verse 8 and beyond. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? So the scene unfolds like it has many times before, is that God is walking in the garden looking for that relationship, but something's changed. There's a shame. There's a, them hiding. They realized that they were naked, not just physically, but they were exposed spiritually. 
And how many times we've been there too is that we've sinned and, and if our heart is not hardened to a sin, we've sinned and we're like, oh. It's like we, we just have that shame before God of like, oh, I did that again. Oh, God, don't, don't look at me. No, I just feel unworthy. There's that shame that comes. And then there's also another thing. There's, there's blame. And men, take notes. This is not a good move. This next verse. It says this, the man said, here's the blame, the woman you put here with me. So not only does he blame Eve, he blames God. Two very, very poor moves. Guys, don't do this. He said this, he said that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. I was helpless. God, I was helpless. It's, it's her fault and it's your fault. Ah, not a good move. But then the woman does this. It says, then, uh, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. So she says, it's not my fault. He says, it's not my fault. They just are pointing to other people. And we do the same thing again. When we're tempted, when we give in to sin, we either hide from God because of the shame or we start to blame. Well, if that person had not said that, if they had not done that, then I wouldn't have had to say what I did or I wouldn't have had to do what I had to do. Their fault. So we go from doubt to temptation to sin to, to shame and blame. And then God being a just God, it's discipline. The, the response of a loving father is discipline of you can't get away with sin. There's discipline. There's correction that comes. Correction for the serpent, for the man, for the woman. In verse 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat the dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. There's a Jesus reference there. You can research that. We don't have time to go into it today. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe with painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule for you. Remember, this is all part of the curse. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and you ate the fruit of the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Though pain, through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So all that was absent before sin is now present after sin. Where there was once no evil, there was now evil. There's now disorder. There's now chaos. There's now conflict. There's now pain and discord and disease and disagreement and death. From dust you came and dust you'll return. It was never the intent. This brokenness we experienced in this world was never the original plan. It was disrupted. But now we have this pattern of doubt, temptation. So what do we do with this temptation before it becomes sin? Because James says this in chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. 
says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire. I want you to think, did God really say? It's like our own evil desire. Did God really say that? And enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. See, sin's ultimate result is death. For the wages of sin is death. Death is that end result. But there's another way. And there's a greater hope. It doesn't have to be the sin cycle that we see in Genesis of doubt, temptation, sin, shame, and blame, discipline. And then let's do it all over again. There can be a break in there. Let's see what we find in Luke 4. Flip over to Luke 4. Luke 4 says this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Just start, just let's stop right there. That's a great way to encounter any part of life. The Spirit of God, fill me. Fill me. In the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, Spirit of God, fill me. Walk in the fullness of the Spirit. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He's led into this, this time, this place of brokenness, this dryness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. So here he is, fully God and fully human. And this temptation is actual temptation. Here, we see that Jesus was hungry. This is the human side of him being hungry. There's this craving within him. So he's going to be tempted. And this is an actual temptation that he has. Let's see what he does with this in the thinking of the pattern here. Verse three, the devil said to him, first thing, there's going to be doubt. Listen, if you are the son of God, so he starts right with doubt. Okay, so here you are in the wilderness, Jesus. 40 days, you're hungry. Are you sure you're the son of God? Are you sure that God maybe was just messing with you? I mean, are you really the son of God? If so, prove it. Here's the temptation. Tell this stone to become bread. Could Jesus have done this? Absolutely. In a moment, in a heartbeat, could have done this. But this would not have been acting out of faith. Therefore, it would have been sin. It was his own selfish pleasure, his own desire. In verse four, this is how Jesus responded. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. So how does Jesus break this sin cycle from doubt, temptation before it gets to sin? Scripture. He quotes scripture. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8. He's saying there's something greater than just food. There's something more to live on. He uses scripture to push the devil away, but the devil doesn't give up. Verse five, the devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, the devil said to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want. So first, here's the doubt part. The devil is making Jesus doubt who's really in charge. Okay, so God says he's in charge. You, you Jesus, you believe that he's in charge. But look at all the mess around us. Look at the sin, the brokenness, the pain, the death. Is, is God really in charge of that? Because Jesus, if, if you take charge now, you could fix all this. You could do this. There's this doubt and this temptation. And also in this way, 
The temptation would be is, Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. Just save the people now. Just fix it now. Don't worry about the cross. Again, Jesus would be acting out of selfish ambition, selfish drive, not out of faith. So Jesus, again, he breaks this sin cycle where he goes from doubt to temptation. Before it gets to sin, he says this, verse eight. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Serve him only. So you may be thinking like, well, okay, if, if I'm tempted in this way, like Jesus was, like bow down and worship Satan. Chris, I'm not worshiping Satan. I am not bowing down to the devil. I'm not going to devil church and Satan small groups and having Satan potlucks and, and all this. Like it's, it's not the case. Chris, I'm not doing that. It's obvious. I'm not worshiping the devil. But remember, the devil masquerades as an angel of light. It's not going to be obvious. There's a message in the Satanic Bible. There's actually a book called the Satanic Bible. And I've asked the other services if they know what the message is. And I'm like, I don't want to know if you know what the messages are, the Satanic Bible. I don't want you reading that. But I'll tell you the three main messages out of the Satanic Bible. These are the three messages. You are your own God. You have your own truth. You make your own decisions. Whatever you, you want, whatever you feel is right, whatever truth is truth to you, you are your own God. There's not a higher authority out there. So, so you figure out what that is. The second main message is sin is good for you. Now, it doesn't call it sin, but basically it says do whatever you want. Whatever brings pleasure, whatever brings fulfillment, whatever that is, it's good for you. As long as you feel good about it, you do that. And the third thing is that there's no afterlife. This is it. Live it up now. There's nothing more. So you should be pursuing financial gain and physical gain and, and uh, whatever social gain, whatever it is, you go for it full bore because it's only now. These are the messages of the Satanic Bible. Do you see these messages anywhere in society, anywhere in the world around us? I mean, it's all over the place. The enemy masquerades as an angel of light. Like these are, these are seemed as positive messages in the society right now. Just do what you want. As long as it feels good and doesn't hurt anyone, just do it. Jesus said, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's a decision. Do I, who do I worship? Is it God or is it the devil? Verse nine, the devil's still at it with Jesus. It says the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Here's the doubt right here. If you are the son of God. So again, this question, this doubt, here's the temptation. Then throw yourself down for here, from here. For it is written, so the enemy's quoting scripture now. It's getting pretty wise. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So if you're the son of God, God's not going to let you be hurt. I mean, the scriptures say that. The enemy's throwing scripture at Jesus. Just jump, and, and God's going to show himself, and you're going to show yourself, and it's going to be great. The world's going to know who you are. But again, it's not operating out of faith. And so there's this doubt and this temptation 
and, and Jesus again breaks before the sin goes on. But so often what we do is we doubt, then we're tempted, then we give in to sin, then we go through the shame and blame, and then God disciplines because he's a just God, and then we go back into the cycle at some point. We doubt again, we're tempted, we're sin, and it just becomes this just cycle again and again and again. But Jesus showed us the way where it stops here. See, we shouldn't be surprised when we doubt. We shouldn't be surprised when there's temptation, but there's a way out when it comes before sin. Verse 12, Jesus answered, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And we see that temptation did not just end there with Jesus, that the devil left in that moment, but he was coming back again. And you know just as well as I do that when you're tempted and you get past that temptation, when you've prayed yourself through that temptation, when you've shared scripture over that temptation, that that temptation comes back again. And it's frustrating. But Paul encourages us this way in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. So what he's saying is that that temptation that you are facing right now, there's someone else in this room that's facing that same temptation. No matter how out there you think your temptation may be, someone's facing that. Someone watching at home is facing it. See, what the enemy does is wants to isolate us. Of, I can't share that. I can't share that I'm tempted by this. I can't share that, that I've gone over that temptation into sin. I can't do that. There's no one else like me in this. But I want you to hear this, that you are not alone. You are not alone. That's the beauty of the church, the way it's supposed to be. The way that I pray that this church is, is that when you go to someone, you say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Like it goes no further than that spot. Because any conversation about whatever is shared is sin and it's gossip and that's sin and it stays here. And that is ridiculous if it goes outside of what is shared. This has to be a safe place. People you go to, it has to be safe because you pray for each other so that there's healing that comes. And I love this. It says, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Is that he's not going to let that temptation go too far. There is always a way out. Whatever you're facing right now, there is a way out. There is a way out, I promise you. Even if you've stepped over that into sin, there's a way out of this temptation. And it finishes this way. It says, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So it's a factor of not if you're tempted, but rather it's a factor of when you are tempted. So again, don't be surprised. Like, oh, I got tempted. It's not if, it's when. We will all be tempted. God is faithful. He provides a way out. And temptation like pain and suffering can be an opportunity for growth and maturity. It's not meant to be a discouragement. It's an opportunity. And I believe that the evil intended for us to step into can be co-opted for good. Whatever that temptation is that you're facing, that you're like, ah, I don't know if I want to go that way with sin. It can be co-opted for good. God can do something good. God can bring you through that, bring healing, bring hope to others. Because when you confess something, so many times I've seen this, I've witnessed this, is when someone confesses something, someone else in the room is like, oh yeah, me too. It's like, oh, not that it's okay. But this thing of like, I'm not alone and I can share and there's prayer and there's support and there's maturity that comes out of that. But if those individuals are just silent, they're alone. It's like that video, right? 
they left those kids in the room with a marshmallow. What? They're kids with sugar. Of course it's real temptation, but that's no different than us. When we're tempted, it's that marshmallow. Mm. If we're alone, we can nibble, we can do whatever. Someone's in that room with us and be like, no, 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 it's not worth it. Someone else is there supporting. No, 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 it's not worth it. There's more. There's more to this life. This is what Jesus said. Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Watch and pray. Be alert. Don't be surprised. Don't be discouraged. And then pray. You're like, oh, here's a temptation. I'm gonna pray over this. Because there's a battle in your heart and mind and soul. Look at this next part of the verse. You, the spirit, oh wait, I'm sorry. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's us being like, marshmallow. The spirit's like, no, right? It's not meant to be alone. We're not meant to be alone. The enemy wants to, 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 to pull us out. And we're called to stand firm in the word of God, just like Jesus uses the word of God. The armor of God, the only offensive weapon is the word, the sword of the spirit. Everything else is defensive. So we're called to use the word of God. So I ask you, what is your marshmallow? What is that marshmallow sitting on the plate right now in front of you? Can you name it? I'm guessing most of us can name it pretty quickly. And then I ask you this too. Is that how have you interacted with that marshmallow? And I ask you, who else is in the room with you? Is there anyone else in the room with you in the marshmallow? We're never meant to exist in isolation. We're never meant to, to be alone, trying out of our own willpower, but rather to be empowered by the Spirit of God, to be filled by the Spirit, because temptation will always be there. Our power comes from the Lord, and the beauty is, is there's people around us to support and to encourage. So I want to pray today as we wrap up for three groups of people. The first group is anyone that has never received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because everything we've just talked about, about God's spirit and power and, and overcoming temptation, that's meaningless until you have a relationship with Christ. That's where you start is with salvation of Jesus Christ, washing your sins away, being empowered by the spirit, filled by the spirit of God. So I want to start with that first group. Anyone that's not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The second group I want to pray for is that group that's on this line of temptation. It's like, okay, here I am. I'm on the line. I'm being tempted. There's sin right there. <laughs> Looks good. It's this battle, right? I want to pray for that group. The third group I want to pray for is a group that's like, ah, sin. And you're here. It's kind of like this murky kind of pit type thing of like, I'm existing in sin. No, it's not where I should be, want to be, nor what God has for me, but I'm here. I'm going to pray for you because this isn't the end. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you loved us enough to send your son Jesus. That you didn't give up on humanity after Adam and Eve sinned, that you've never given up on us, that you've never given up on each person who are hearing these words. 
And I want to pray for and pray with anyone that's listening that has not yet received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That you've not confessed that you are a sinner, that you have sinned. You've not received the forgiveness of Jesus. You've not professed your faith in him. That in this moment, you would just silently pray just in your heart and your mind, words something like this. God, I'm a sinner. I have sinned. I have sin in me. But Lord, today, right now, I confess that sin and I believe that Jesus is the one who takes that sin from me by his work on the cross, offering forgiveness, purifying my heart. And Lord, today I say yes to following you. Lord, I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that Jesus is the only way to the Father, to you. So today, for the first time, I say thank you for saving me. And I desire to follow after you. I also want to pray for each person who hears these words, who is just on the edge of sin, who is being tempted. It just seems overwhelming. It just seems like this continual battle. That God, today, that the filling of your spirit, God, would occur. Lord, that your spirit would battle against the temptation. Lord, thank you that you give each one of us a way out, that we don't have to go through this cycle. And so, Lord, I pray in faith with my brothers and sisters who are battling temptation, leading towards sin, that today would be the day that they would turn from that, that they would confess that to one another, one other person. God, that you do a mighty work. And Lord, I also want to pray for my brothers and sisters who are just living in sin, who've allowed sin in their heart and their life, whether they've actively realized it or it's just happened. God, your spirit, I know, is just knocking on hearts right now. And so, God, in this time, if that's you, that you would confess that sin that's in your life. Jesus, I thank you that you are the one that forgives. You're the one that washes clean. And Father, I pray that we would truly be repentant, not just confessing, but repentant, turning from our sin, walking away a different direction. Lord, reliant on your word, on your spirit. Lord, in community with one another. So Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that there's great hope, God, now and eternal. Lord, thank you that you give us a way out when we're tempted. Lord, you're so, so good. We pray this all in Jesus' strong and powerful name. Amen.